the Sermon on the Mount, perhaps Jesus' most famous sermon, and by most accounts, it is the most significant sermon in history. Though it was delivered on the side of a hill one day in Israel, its power, truth, and simplicity have pierced through every century since. His divinely inspired words are not only timeless, they are timely for us. In this sermon, Jesus covers a diverse list of topics that affect all of our daily lives. Jesus teaches about prayer, justice, caring for the needy, the pathway to blessing, God's law, marriage, fasting, judging other people, forgiveness, salvation, and much more. In other words, this sermon is the most thorough picture we have from Jesus describing what it looks like to really live as followers of Jesus and members of God's kingdom. It is a picture of the life God desires for Christians. The Sermon on the Mount teaches us how we should be because it teaches us how Jesus is. We hope you will join us this fall at Redeemer as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I'm so excited to be back in uh, the most incredible, famous sermon that has ever been preached when Jesus preached it on the side of a mountain, uh, hence the name, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I'll give a little bit of a, a recap and a little bit of an introduction for those of you who may not have been around when we launched this last fall, uh, but the Sermon on the Mount, uh, it's a sermon that is directed towards Christians, uh, towards disciples, towards people who have already heard and embraced the gospel and have entered into to the kingdom by way of the grace of Christ. And so it's not a, a message about how to get into the kingdom. It's a message about how to live after you're a part of the kingdom. And that's an incredibly important distinction to make. Uh, because if we take this and try and figure out how to use this to get into the kingdom of heaven, it just doesn't work. Uh, it doesn't work that way because the way to get into the kingdom is not by acting like a Christian or, or mimicking Jesus or having a life full of good works. It's by repentance and faith uh, when Jesus forgives us, washes us clean, invites us in, adopts us into the family. And that's what he had just talked about, Jesus did in Matthew chapter 4. He's preaching the gospel in Matthew 4, showing the way into the kingdom is to confess your need for Jesus Christ as your Savior, and then he gives grace, he gives mercy, he forgives. Jesus is preaching to everyone in Matthew 4, and in the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus changes gears from preaching to the masses to teaching his disciples. It says that he invited his disciples, those who had already responded to the gospel, and he began to teach them, saying, and then Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew 7 is what we call the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is teaching us, once we have already embrace the gospel of robust grace. This is what it truly looks like uh, to be members of God's kingdom and to live our lives for him. Um, we begin, we're kind of right in the middle of this little mini portion of the sermon that's called the six antithesis. Uh, and what that is, is that's Jesus saying, you have heard it said, and then he will repeat something that was somewhat common uh, language or, or common talk among the people there. And then he would either illuminate it or he would correct it. And so we're picking up in the antithesis where Jesus is saying, you have heard it said, and then he'll interject something that is very applicable to us um, because uh, some of the stats that I have read, uh, maybe this hopefully 
this is not applicable to you or a descriptor of you, but the stats in the United States are just not good right now for Christians and biblical literacy. Uh, most stats say that most Christians are very, very illiterate of the Bible and what it teaches, which means uh, we're at the mercy of so-and-so said, or you've heard it said. And there's a huge difference between you've heard it said and it is written, okay? So we wanna be a people that are not just about, well, uh, I've heard it said, or so-and-so tweeted, or I saw it on Facebook, so therefore it must be true. Yet I'm worried that uh, in our culture, if we get away from a, a robust diet of God's word, we're gonna be at the mercy of really what Jesus is trying to counteract. Uh, we'll be at the mercy of you've heard it said. So that's the sixth antithesis where Jesus says, uh, you've heard it said, but I tell you, and then he either clarifies that or he corrects that. Uh, there's a big difference between you've heard it said and it is written, or as Jesus will say in some of these, I say unto you. So Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 33 through 37 is where we are at this morning listening to the very words uh, and the teaching and a sermon from Jesus Christ himself to his followers, which is definitely and directly applicable to us. If you're in Matthew chapter 5, muster up all the excitement and the gusto that you can and say ready. Ready. You just made my day. I mean, we survived the great water boil notice of 2023. Now we've survived the great ice storm of 2023. You just made my ear. We'll keep going from here. Matthew chapter five, verse 33, Jesus says this. He says, and again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, probably meaning uh, you've heard this saying, uh, this has probably been somewhat of a, a normal cultural uh, thing that is being passed around. It's been around, maybe Jesus would say for decades, maybe for centuries, but you've heard it said, this is a very common saying that you maybe have taken uh, for truth, taken at face value. Again, you've heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now, if you just kind of read that, you, you think, what is there to correct about that? Jesus just said, uh, you've heard it said, don't swear falsely, but I say to you, swear falsely. Is that what he says? No, you just kind of look at it at face value and you have to dig a little bit uh, to understand what Jesus was trying to fix. So here's what Jesus was trying to uh, fix is that he is drawing attention um, to, there was a command, you know this, there is a command, one of the top 10, the 10 commandments that says, uh, you shall not lie or you shall not bear false witness. And so what had happened over the decades uh, before Jesus would preach this is that uh, some of the religious leaders would take that command man, that's just very simple, and they would kind of tweak it and kind of twist it and add a few things here and there, uh, where honestly it gave them some loopholes uh, where they could uh, have their conscience relieved, but they were still uh, not really full of truth or integrity. Uh, so the first part there, you shall not swear falsely, very literally says, you've heard it said, don't lie under oath. That's literally what it means. Uh, implying the religious leaders who gave that said, well, 
well, don't lie under oath. And if you're not under oath, you know, it's just kind of fine. You can kind of do uh, whatever you want, say whatever you want. And the second part, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Um, There was another thing that the religious leaders had taken and twisted that command to say, you know, if you're making a vow uh, or a promise to God, then you need to keep it. But that's not necessarily applicable if you make a promise to someone else. So what they had done is they had kind of tweaked some things where they provided themselves some loopholes where they did not have to truly uh, be people of integrity and people of the truth. So that's the backdrop to what Jesus is going to correct. You've heard it said, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Verse 34, Jesus goes on to say this, but I say to you, And I think it's worth noting, not just when he says that here, but in a lot of Jesus's ministry, it's it's worth noting how bold it is of Christ um, to step in and single-handedly and authoritatively say, there have been some things circulating for perhaps centuries, and I am here to set the record straight authoritatively to speak from heaven for, for God once and for all for what truth is. He's going to stand against what all of the other uh, religious leaders were teaching and something that uh, no doubt good Jewish boys and girls had grown up listening to. And he just steps up with some incredible authority and says, you've heard all these things, but I say to you, And y'all know the story that later on in Jesus' ministry, that would get him in a lot of trouble, but it would also draw people in because he would speak like one who had authority. Why? Because he does. Because Jesus has the authority uh, to set the record straight, and that's what he's doing. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool. Or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. And everybody said, that was a joke. I'll work on my delivery for the second round. Let what you say be, I've just got more and more gray hair, that's all I'm saying. Uh, Let what you say be simply yes or no, anything more than that comes from evil. Now, Three things that as we look into this, that it seemed to be important enough uh, for Jesus that he puts this in his sermon. Maybe you, you read this and you look at this and think, like, why, why, does this, why is something so simple as just tell the truth, just be a person of the truth? Why is that so important that Jesus would put something so apparent in this sermon? And as we unpack this, I want to show you three things. Uh, Three things that I think we should learn, that Jesus intends for us to learn, uh, especially in the the world that we live in now. Number one, we'll look at what should we be in light of Jesus' teaching, what should we be, two, uh, why should we be it, and three, why that's both important and hard in our current cultural setting. So with what we just read from Jesus, number one, what should we be? Be And very simply, what Jesus is teaching is that his followers need to be people of the truth. Okay, everybody say truth. 
The reason Jesus is saying, you've heard it said that there's kind of some loopholes, but I say you don't, don't live your life that way. You need to be people that are known for telling the truth. When you say yes, you mean yes. When you say no, you mean no. You don't have to wander around saying all the time, well, I promise or I swear, um, because most of the time, if we have to add some type of uh, qualifiers, that means that we're just not people of integrity, right? I, I read a really interesting article. Do y'all remember Reader's Digest? I don't even know if it's still around. I remember growing up, it was in our house all the time. That was like the coffee table magazine. And I remember there was a jokes portion that I used to turn to, and that's about the extent of my Reader's Digest reading. But I did run across an interesting article uh, this week that I read. It was talking about the things that untrustworthy people have in common. Uh, very interesting. And one of the things that untrustworthy people have in common is that a lot of times they will say, you can trust me or I promise. Isn't that interesting that the people that have to qualify when they're telling the truth are in fact many times not telling the truth. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't be the type of person that every now and then you have to qualify uh, what we're saying as, uh, well, I promise or I swear. Why? Because Jesus is saying we need to be the kind of people that our yes is yes and our no is no. We don't have to qualify it because we are known as being truth tellers uh, day in and day out. Now, that, that's fairly, fairly simple. If you just try to extract from Jesus' teaching, what should we be? I think that is the very short, concise answer. We need to be people of the truth. When our yes means yes, our no means no, we don't have to qualify it because we've got lives of integrity. Number two, this is very, very important. Not just for this text, um, but the, the why is very, very important behind the Sermon on the Mount because the Sermon on the Mount has a lot to do with, with actions and works and how we're supposed to live. And if we don't get the why correctly, then we kind of wander off into the land of the Pharisees. Like we're just trying to do the right things, but maybe not driven by the right purposes. So why does it matter that we're people of the truth. That, that question is incredibly important. Why should we be people of the truth? Because what you find, not just here, but the rest of Jesus' teaching for the next many months, uh, the, the mission, one of the big missions that Christians have on the planet is to represent Jesus very well. True or false, is Jesus a truth teller? true. Jesus tells the truth, and so his followers need to be marked by the truth. Why? Because we're supposed to represent him well. And Christians in our, in our businesses and in our business dealings and uh, at school and with friends and family, we need to be marked by the truth because we represent someone who is for all time marked by the truth. We got to be truth tellers because, not because that's what gets us into heaven, Jesus gets us into heaven, but to represent him on earth, uh, that, that's one of the jobs that we have to represent him well. And so Jesus wants those bearing his name to be people of integrity, people of the truth. Um, if you fast forward from the Sermon on the Mount, uh, just a, a, a couple years uh, what you find is that Jesus still has the, the 12 disciples that he's been training for a few years um, to lead the church and to understand the gospel and to teach about the kingdom. Uh, and you fast forward and, and you find Jesus with the 12 the night he's betrayed uh, in the upper room. And uh, he gives this long discourse, the Matthew, or sorry, John chapter 13, 14, all the way through 17, uh, all takes place with Jesus and his disciples in the upper room. 
and, and he reminded him in the upper room, I think something that was echoed in what we just read in, in Matthew 5, why we should be people of the truth, but he adds a whole nother layer to it. Uh, and some of you, if you've been around the church or Christianity long at all, you know this verse I'm about to read. There's a really good chance that you have it memorized. Uh, but for those of you who might be new, I did not want to skip over this because it's such an important thing if we're going to understand who Jesus is. Jesus tells his disciples in John chapter 14, verse 6, this. He says, Jesus said to them in the upper room to his disciples, I am the way, what's the next? The truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father unless they come through me. Now, a lot of times as Westerners, we think of truth just simply as information, as accurate information. But in John chapter 14, Jesus doesn't say, I, I, I am the way, I tell the truth, and I am the life. What does he say? He says, I am the way, and I am the truth. So it's not even just that Jesus tells the truth. A lot of us can tell the truth, but that doesn't mean that we are the truth. That's a very different thing. In fact, I would make the case that Jesus tells the truth because he is the truth. He is the truth, and, and that word is so, the, the, the meaning of that word in Greek is so deep. I think sometimes uh, maybe it's hard in English to truly understand what Jesus is saying when he says he is the truth. Um, that word in Greek in the New Testament is mentioned 109 times. So uh, if something is repeated that often, uh, then we know it's a mega theme that we really need to grasp and understand. Uh, John, uh, the, the, the apostle who Jesus loved, who wrote uh, the, the gospel of John, John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, uh, he, he, he uses that almost half of the times that it's used. Um, the word truth is used 109 times. John uses it 47 times because John knew Jesus so well. He liked to talk about him as not only saying the truth, but being the truth. And, I, you know, if um, a few years ago, Right after we had moved to Midland, uh, we didn't have uh, any, uh, any offices even, and so we were all officing out of random uh, coffee shops here and there and uh, parking lots here and there and parks when it was nice. And I thought, you know, I need to build a, a, a shed basically in my backyard that can be our offices. Uh, so a few of you in the room actually helped with that project. Uh, but I remember you came out one day, and we, it was a cold, cold morning. I woke Judah up, uh, my oldest, at like 3 a.m. to prepare the ground because the cement truck was coming. And and we were going to lay a foundation, uh, and this is not part of the story for you, but I think it's great anyway. At the end of that day, it was a really long day, I took Judah to the Chinese buffet, uh, and he just looked at me, he says, you, you have been holding out on me. And, uh, and we celebrated the Chinese buffet after laying the foundation. And what you have to do after laying a foundation uh, is that the city sends out a building inspector to come inspect the foundation. And what are they inspecting for? To see if it is true, okay? Now, we, we don't use that word, uh, but the word true in, in Greek is, it, it's the exact same word as integrity, and so when, uh, when somebody's coming in to test the foundation, they're looking to see if, if you reinforced it with rebar, if there's any cracks, if it has structural integrity, if it's going to break, if it can withhold the weight, if it, if it has enough trueness or integrity, then you can build a building on top of it. When Jesus says that not just he speaks the truth, 
Okay, I, I could probably guess if you and I tried really hard, we could get through the day 100% telling the truth. We could probably get, that doesn't, that's not the same thing as us being the truth. And so I've, I formulated this definition uh, in my study this week now for what Jesus is trying to convey to us when he says, I am the truth. Because Jesus is so thoroughly and perfectly true, or think about it like a foundation, absolutely no flaws, no cracks, perfect, true, full of integrity. Because Jesus is so thoroughly and perfectly true, what he says therefore is true, and it's in perfect alignment with reality. Nothing in Jesus is false or misleading, nothing is fake, nothing is uncertain. It's one thing to say the truth, but it's another thing to be the truth. And I think Jesus, when he claims that he is the truth, uh, he's not just saying that everything he says is accurate. He's saying that he, in his being, is the best representative of reality. There's nothing fake, nothing broken. Why is that important? Well, that's going to obviously teach us to speak the truth, but that, that's an important thing for us to understand. Why are we truth tellers? Why has Jesus asked our yes to be yes and our no to be no? Well, because Jesus is the truth. And so like, you're going to have to build your life on something. And so you want to build your life on something that is a sure and a steady foundation. And when Jesus says, I am the truth, he is saying, you can build your life upon me. Why is it important that we should be truth tellers? Because Jesus is the truth. Listen, I would really encourage you to ask this question, and, and not just to give the, the kind of Sunday school answer that we all give the right answer because we know it's the right answer, um, but truly ask yourself, what are you building your life upon? Uh, because if it's anything other than Jesus, it's not, it's not true. It doesn't have enough integrity to bear the weight of giving you an identity uh, or a purpose or a direction. So truly ask yourself, what are you building your life upon? What are you building your life upon? What if this thing that you uh, love and hold dear and stand upon, if it was to be crushed, would you come crashing down? And to invite you to build your life on Jesus. You remember the story where he talks about the foundation. And he says, uh, some of you, you built your life upon the sand. And when the waves come, uh, when the difficulty comes, uh, when, the, when the cancer comes, when the, when the uh, abuse comes, uh, when the abandonment comes, then your life falls apart because your foundation wasn't true. Build your life upon Christ who is a true and, an, and a sure foundation. Why should it be that we're people of the truth, not just because Jesus tells the truth, but because Jesus is the truth? Y'all with me? What should we be? Truth tellers. Why should we be that way? Because Jesus is the truth. And number three, I want to unpack this for a few moments. Why is this both important and hard in our current culture or in the world that we live. Why is it important that Christians be people that our yeses are yes and our noes are no, and we're known as people who are of the truth? Why is that important uh, for us to be salt and light in the world? And why is that very uniquely difficult for us in this day and age? One, this is not gonna surprise you, but it's important because people need the truth. People need the truth. 
not just generically, they don't just need people in their lives that they can trust, but they need to know the truth about Jesus. They need to know the truth about sin and about judgment and about uh, grace and forgiveness. People need to know the truth and there needs to be Christians who are, uh, have our lives built upon Jesus and are willing to tell the truth. That's the first reason. Why is it important? Because people need it. Did you know that in your job, I read this the other day, this was in a book about feedback, uh, about uh, uh, eliciting and listening to and learning from and growing through honest feedback. And, And most of you know this, right? In your job, if you want to be better, especially if you've been doing a certain job for any amount of time, one of the most important things that you have to have is what? Good, honest feedback. And what is probably the one thing that maybe we don't want to get, good, honest feedback. And so you're kind of stuck, like, I need this, but I also don't want this. And you have to choose, well, do I need it more and I'm willing to endure uh, the difficulty of hearing it? Or do I just, you know what, I'm just kind of fine how I am and I don't need to know the truth. I'll just, I would rather have just kind of this this season of of, of ignorance rather than to be uh, shaped by the truth, right? We need the truth. We need the truth if we're going to move forward. If I had uh, cancer, I, I, you kind of would feel that, 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 that struggle between, well, goodness, I don't want to hear that news. But if I have it, I need to know it because I need to know what I'm facing and I need to know what the truth is. The world needs to know the truth. That's why it's important. But very uniquely in our culture, why is it difficult to be people of the truth? Up until, at least in my estimation, about maybe a decade ago, two decades ago max, our culture, and previous to that, like most cultures on the planet, value truth. I'm not saying that all the people in those cultures uh, have been truth tellers uh, or did any better job. They just, in the the cultural value system, uh, they valued the truth. The truth was really, really high uh, up on the list of things that were important, uh, things that were valued, things that were made a priority. Uh, You would celebrate people in the culture that were people of the truth. And so that was kind of raised up as a a collective value for the society. So it would be very easy for a Christian to be a person of the truth truth because even outside of Christian circles, that would be something somewhat that would be valued. If you could prove something was true, then it was important and it was valued. That is not so anymore. Okay, the highest priority and the highest value in our culture is no longer the truth. Because something, I, don't, I, I haven't traced this back to kind of figure out where it started or what has happened, but something has dramatically changed culturally where now what has elevated in our culture as the highest value and priority is self-esteem, not being offended, basically, and kind of emotions. And so if, if this idea of, of my self-esteem and I really don't want to be offended and I don't want any negative emotions, if that in our culture right now has a head-on collision with truth, truth now is the casualty, okay? Truth is the casualty because you can't say something even though it's true if it offends someone. Y'all with me? This is one of the reasons that makes it very difficult to obey what Jesus is saying, to be people of the truth. 
because the culture doesn't, doesn't value. It's not the highest priority. Uh, the, the culture treats truth very interestingly. You can withhold the truth. You can twist the truth. You can completely deny the truth as long as you don't hurt anyone's feelings, as long as we don't offend anyone. And if you can step back and, and think about that for a moment, who on earth would be driving an agenda like that? What force, what spirit would try to convince an entire culture that the truth does not matter as long as our feelings are not hurt? I would make the case. What a, what a demonic and deceptive thing that, Jesus, that, that, that Satan's weaving into our culture to teach an entire group of people that the truth doesn't matter. What, what matters is how we feel. This is why it's both important and difficult to be people of the truth. Because in our culture, the culture does not like that. And perhaps with the gospel, maybe, maybe people have never liked the offensive nature of the gospel. True or false, the gospel's offensive? Very true. And the gospel's offensive. And if you try to remove the offense, you remove the gospel. And if you remove the, the, the Christian voice of truth in the culture, then you have an entire culture of deep systemic spiritual cancer that is completely unaware until they die and it's too late. The truth matters. It's both important and it's difficult, and yet Jesus has asked us to be people of the truth. It's just the price tag is getting a little bit bigger. To be people of the truth. Why? Because Jesus is true, and that's both absolutely important and necessary that people around us not just have Christians that are full of integrity and our yes is yes and our no is no and our words can be trusted, but we, we continually open our mouths and talk to people about Jesus. Tell them the truth about sin. Tell them the truth about the gospel. Back to John chapter 14. When Jesus is giving some color what to what I believe he's teaching in Matthew 5, to let your, let your yes be yes, let your no be no, be people of the truth. And he says, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's offensive in our culture because it's somewhat narrow. And it's both exclusive and inclusive. And so our culture doesn't ask the question, okay, if Jesus says he's the only way, is that true? They don't ask that question. They ask the question, is that offensive? Is that offensive to other religions? Is that offensive to other uh, claims to, to be savior? Is that offensive to, to, like, it doesn't ask the question, is it true? We ask the question, is it offensive? And if it is offensive, it almost doesn't even matter whether it's true or not. But Jesus says, I am the way, and for you, uh, you grammar lovers, you people, of, lovers of the English language or the, the Greek language, that's a definite article. Uh, the indefinite article would have been, Jesus might have said, I am a way, uh, meaning uh, one possibility of many, but he very purposefully and pointedly uses the definite article, I am the only way. What does that mean? He talks later on in the verse about the pathway to the Father. The only way is Jesus. How can Jesus say something like that? Is that offensive? I don't know. That's the wrong question to ask. The right question to ask is, is it true? And the reason Jesus gets to say that, one is because he is God. Two is because he rose from the grave. 
And if you lay aside, if you put all of the people throughout human history that have claimed to be a pathway to heaven or savior, a pathway to being saved, if you lay them all just kind of at equal footing, then the one who drags death itself into a grave, leaves it there, triumphs over Satan's sin, the grave and death once and for all, and defeats death itself, that's the one we should listen to. That's the one that's proven he's true. He says, I am the way. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way to the Father. You need to know that. The world needs to know that. The world doesn't want to hear that. But Jesus is the way, and then Jesus is the truth. He he is so full of integrity. He is the perfect representation of reality. He's the only one worthy of building your life upon. And if you reject him, you will never be able to stop seeking him. If you reject Jesus as the way and the truth and the life, you'll spend the rest of your life trying to find that somewhere else, trying to find true meaning somewhere else, trying to find purpose somewhere else, trying to find uh, true community somewhere else, trying to find the things that we were designed to have. If you reject finding those in Jesus, it's not that you will find them somewhere else. It's that you will spend the rest of your life trying to find them. Jesus says, I am the way the truth, and the life. And if you know the writings of the Apostle John, when he connects this idea of Jesus being our life, he does so in two ways. He says that Jesus is the path to eternal life, that you are made in the image of God. You will exist forever. You had a beginning, and you will have no end. You will exist somewhere for all of eternity, and your only hope to be in eternity with God is Jesus. He is the pathway to eternal life. You need to know if that's true or not. But also, not just eternity, because I think a lot of times the church has just relegated salvation to eternity. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, that's how you had to share the gospel with people. And then that's how we heard it. You would say, hey, if you got hit by a bus today, uh, you know, where would you go? And it was a hundred, and that's like, that's, that's a good question, right? But, but then they would never really talk about just what Jesus does to unlock not just eternal life later, but abundant life now. John says that Jesus is the answer to both. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the key to eternal life. Jesus is the key to abundant life. Why is it important? Why was it important enough for Jesus to spend some time preaching on it in the Sermon on the Mount for us to be people of the truth? Because Jesus is the truth, therefore he speaks the truth. He has called us out of the world to send us back into the world as truth tellers whose words can be trusted, who are full of integrity, and who ultimately tell the truth about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done to a world that just like most of us, probably all of us before Christ, we didn't want to hear the truth but then we're confronted with the truth of our sin and our uh, standing under conviction and judgment and the truth of Jesus doing something we couldn't do and, and the Holy Spirit draws us in, opens up our hearts. The world doesn't want the truth, but that's exactly what they need. These Christians that are people of the truth. So I wanna invite you to bow your head, to close your eyes and to very specifically in these next few moments, uh, I want to pray uh, for the Holy Spirit to help us be well, two things underneath this heading of people of the truth. 
uh, people who don't have to walk around saying, I promise or I swear, because simply our words carry weight because we're people of the truth. And therefore, people around us can trust us. But specifically also, I want to really invite the Holy Spirit to give us some opportunities this week to tell someone the truth. What, What terrifies me is if the culture wins this battle in making truth such an unpopular thing that Christians stop sharing it. So to be people of the truth and to open our mouths and to share the truth about Christ. Jesus, we love you and we need you to navigate these these days and this season, this culture that you have placed us in. Thank you that your words can be trusted, that everything that you said was true uh, because everything that you are is true. We thank you that you are so full of integrity. There's no holes, there's no gaps, there's no, uh, there's no fractures in you and your character and your being so you can be trusted. Father, I pray that you would continue to shape us and mold us into people of the truth that our yes is yes and our no is no. And I pray as we speak this week that you would give us opportunities uh, to tell people who Jesus is and what he has done for them, to draw them back, to redeem them, to pay for their sins, to forgive their sins, to unite them once and for all with the Father. God, I pray that you would make us, God, an unoffensive people because the gospel itself is offensive enough. So I pray that you would not just teach us to be people of the truth, but to do it in love with great compassion, with great patience, Jesus, as you have with us. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. And we invite your spirit to move in these next few moments. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.